are reaching across the divide, connecting the Soviets and the Americans in a PR extravaganza. I'm Jason Snell over here in Apollo and over there in Soyuz. It's an Apollo we dusted off for this episode. Uh, over there in Soyuz, it's uh, cosmonaut Dan Morin. Privyet, Jason. <laughs> oh, boy. You know, a couple weeks ago I said, oh, they're going to do something that's like Apollo Soyuz. Mm-hmm. But this version of it, and it turns out, nope, they are going That's to do exactly Apollo Soyuz. <laughs> this really I, happened for people who don't know. Yep, in the mid-70s, yep. they took the last Apollo capsule, basically, uh, with Deke Slayton on board. And they took a Soyuz, and it was a demonstration of friendship in space. And they joined, and they shook hands through the little little docker. I remember the thing. pictures. Yeah. 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 I mean, it happened real thing. before I was born, I think. But I remember seeing the pictures of it. Yeah. So that apparently is going to happen. But there's a lot going on. This is Pathfinder. Episode four of season two of For All Mankind, Pathfinder. Uh, interesting, interesting. The usage of Pathfinder, which of course is a it was a Mars probe, right? Uh, yeah, right. So yeah. you know, good names yeah. taken. There are so many different uh, shuttle names and things that we get in this uh, season. So they they've been, yeah, they're pulling forward basically other good names that got used for other things in our world. Um, and Pathfinder, as we discover in this episode, is the. Um, is the new generation space shuttle. It's like next gen space shuttle that's nuclear powered nuclear and can take powered. you to Mars or whatever. It's a whole new wherever, wherever you're going. Yeah, it'll get there. It'll get there. It's the next next gen. This is this is one of the most uh science fictional science leaps yeah. that the show has taken, which is like they they really have to invent some new stuff to to drive this forward. And so they got the the fancy Pathfinder. So um yeah the uh ed's gonna fly it and this is this is what's the uh this is this is the thing is uh so karen karen makes breakfast for ed uh karen sees his need to get back in in orbit Uh, everybody's working for the weekend it's the 80s again there's always going to be an 80s song that i mention in this and so that's part of the story here is that ed is going to use his power as he did to assign Gordo. He's going to use his power to assign himself and he's going to assign himself to the fancy new ride, which is Pathfinder. And uh, that means he's going to need to find a replacement in the astronaut office, which leads to other interesting things that happen in this episode. Um, And so, so yeah, that's, that's the big, the big story here is that Ed, uh, and there's another scene later where Ed gets breakfast for himself and it's not nearly as good as when Karen makes it because it's just like Ed. Um, but but of course, Ed eats Wheaties is what I wrote in my notes. Yeah, he just the, you know, one of two notes I wrote in this episode. Yeah, he gets up early and just instead of having you know Karen makes him this nice breakfast, uh, he gets up early and he just pours himself some Wheaties and then drives his car, which breaks and uh, ends up uh, flying out to California, where he meets with I think he's flying out to California, where he meets with Sally Ride, real person, Sally Ride. Yeah, I, she it is. took me a second to to realize that's who it was because I missed when she when Ed refers to her by name. Uh, I missed, I kind of just missed it. It was Dr. Ride. Yeah. Yeah. And I just missed, misheard the I didn't notice until I looked at her uh, label on her job. Oh yeah. And I didn't notice until the next, another scene where somebody refers to her as Sally, which is also my mother's name, by the way. Uh, and I was like, wait, that was Sally. And I, I flashed back to the air, the image. I was like, oh, of course that was Sally. Sally I should have wrecked. Yeah. Like, cause you know, they made her up to look like, cause she's a real person. Yeah. Sally Ride, uh, Sally Ride taught 
physics, I want to say, at my college at UC San Diego. Oh, wow. Okay. And she, she lived in San Diego, and she passed away in San Diego, and there's some discussion of uh, b- building a, a statue of Sally Ride somewhere in San Diego, which I think would be great. My friend Randy, who is a journalist in San Diego, wrote a whole story about how um, almost all the statues in San Diego are of men. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and it was one of these sort of like, who could we have a statue of? And two of the suggestions, you know, one of them came up that were like, these would be really easy. And one of them is Sally Ride. You could put it at UCSD. <laughs> you could put it somewhere else. But like, that's... It, you, you, be a good statue first american woman in space but here she's not the first woman in space but she is on pathfinder along with piscotti the red-headed <laughs> astronaut piscotti boy i loved I, <laughs> uh quite the payoff for that character who we saw back in episode one uh, i can't remember when we were first i think it's very early in episode one that we see him yeah uh, and ed ed sort of upbraids him a little bit you know you're ready when you know, i say you're ready uh and man is that i gotta ask you jason is that the most eventful uh vending machine in nasa headquarters is it the only vending machine i don't I, know but that was the one margo uh got her sandwich out of a couple weeks yes. ago <laughs> i'm loving it i don't know what the deal is with the vending machine but i feel like this show is becoming if this vending machine could talk and i'm here for it <laughs> it's like i want a um, scene every other episode i want a scene a dramatic scene involving the vending machine that's what i want uh, I like this this sort of thread line. So, I, I mean, what's interesting to note is that it this episode seems to take place directly the day after the previous episode. Yeah. Because Karen talks about the sort of the fallout from that big dramatic scene last week where, you know, Ed kind of snaps a little bit. And she says, I think part of the reason is, you know, part of the reason you were worried in some ways because you felt like you were like holding yourself back um or like you you might go to space and then miss out on something again like she realizes there's something missing in ed's life and that he's essentially not going to be happy right if he rides a desk for until uh, he retires and i think we all knew that and probably even ed knew that somewhere subconsciously but he just keeps telling everybody that he's he's fine working on earth right like we had the golf conversation with uh, him and molly a few weeks back where he talks about how happy he is to like be you know in charge of the astronaut office and I think we all knew that couldn't last. Yeah, I guess so. I, I, and I was wondering, I was like, is this Ed? But like in a, in a real world logic, I would be like, I think he's done and he's happy and it's fine. But this is a show and he's a character. It's not, it's, it's not about a show. It's not a show about, you know, Ed writing a desk. No, <laughs> it's, it, it ultimately isn't. And we, we had talked about like, what is the thing that's going to motivate Ed to return to flight? Right. Cause he presumably mm-hmm. has to do that. I know we talked about that like two weeks ago, the idea yeah. of like, there, is there a precipitating incident? It turns out it's not a military incident or a, a moon incident or anything. Moon-cident. It's please a, Jason moon. Incident. It's a, it's a family incident, uh, that mm-hmm. kind of precipitates it. But that's uh, but still, there's a precipitating event, and he uses his power to do that. And so, yeah, he makes uh, he's of course a jerk to Piscotti, but he assigns him uh, the mission by being a jerk to him and saying basically like put on a put on this navy put hat, a navy hat. But I'm in the <laughs> air force, <laughs> sir. Put yeah. on the navy hat, kid. Put it. Yes, put sir. Okay, okay. You're on Pathfinder um, then, kid. All right, sir. I mean, the kid's really excited about his sandwich and all that. Um, and the, also the woman worth- astronaut who is talking to him uh, in the in the previous uh, episode here is like, you know, 
you're such a baby. Don't don't be a don't be a suck up. Basically, I think is kind of her. Like I do enjoy that scene where she's like, "Oh, Ed," and he immediately sticks the hat back on his head and looks around. Oh. And of course, she's just yeah. messing with no, him. No, you got to call there. you got to call him out. You get you can't be a good. It was a really good moment. It's like I know you hold him in awe and you feel like you owe him your job, but you to do your job, you got to call him out on his. Right. Uh, on his BS and and say what you're really thinking because otherwise you're not doing your job and right. I feel like that is um, foreshadowing of something. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Feel, well, they like also mentioned Ed specifically mentions that he picked him because he has like a sixth sense about things going wrong. Uh, uh, like because we we don't know anything about Piscotti like other than his one scene right like we don't know that he's a good astronaut we assume he is but like we don't we haven't seen much of him. And so having Ed sort of crystallize that being like, you know, he's a pretty good pilot, but he also like is really good at, at this and this. And it's like, well, that that strikes me as and that's why something, you, of course, is going wrong. And that's why you would pick him for Pathfinder, because that's the other thing for that's interesting here is, yeah. is normally, at least, well, we don't have a lot to go on, but like the space shuttle, when it initially flew, its first few missions were flown by um, grizzled pilot experts like young and crippen on the first mission like and then what engel and truly on the next mission were both like these are test pilots they're, they're not they're they're just shaking it down and here right. what we've Shake got Chris, yeah. is piscotti who's a rookie going with ed which i'm like you know would you would you not want an expert but this is the show's way of saying well here's why it's piscotti it's because he's actually pretty respected and even ed respects him as having a a real good sense about when things are going wrong and that's what i need when we're shaking down this new uh, craft so fair enough i had to really enjoy the seat with the bit too where he you when when sally ride asked him why he's wearing the hat because he's in the air force and he's like ah i lost a bet <laughs> she's like yeah what was the bet what was the bet <laughs> he's like i was so drunk i don't even know he uh, lies and she's like great this is the guy who they picked to pilot, pilot yeah. the experimental shuttle it's you really yeah great um, I also want to say, I think in that first scene with Ed and Karen, it's also worthwhile noting Karen again, pointing out like, look, you're going to go back to space, but this isn't going to be like last time. I'm not going to be sitting there glued to the radio, you know, oh, yeah, the squawk listening box, in right? on everything. I got yep, a life. I'm going I'm, I'm to life. I'm going to run the bar, etc. which is, you know. It's underlining right. what we said last time, which is um, her, her her life is different. Like her life has changed yeah in a less dramatic way in some ways than Tracy's life has changed, but her life has changed. It's, it's, it's different in that, that this moment where Ed is reengaging with being a, a, a working astronaut, she just wants to make it clear. And he knows this, but like, it's just clear. It's not going to go back to the way it was. It's not like that anymore. Right. Right. And, and more to the point too. I mean, like if her daughter is really on the verge of going off to school and everything, you know, she'll be alone for some of this time. And that, you know, that's a different dynamic, right? She, it's good that she has the the restaurant and everything to sort of manage because otherwise, uh, I gather she would, you know, be staying in bed and smoking a lot more pot. Yeah, exactly. So uh, let's see what else happens up here. We have uh, Gordo, the adventures of Gordo. Mm. Uh, he's having a suit fitting, which again, I think is the, the idea there is that does he fit? <laughs> physically yeah. and mentally and does he fit and he's trying to charm all the techs while right. he's doing it he's got his old sort of you know glint in his eye back yeah. it seems yeah it's that old astronaut talk the smooth drawl kind of thing um and then he has a panic attack uh, that's what it is he has a panic attack in the suit fitting and they're like uh can we do this thing he's like oh, i forgot i gotta do this thing and he goes into another room and he is having a full-on panic attack 
uh, after having been in the suit with the uh, and we get the like the POV thing. It's very much like reminding you of how panicked he was on the moon in yeah. season yeah. one. It's almost, it's almost a claustrophobia thing happening too. It's sort of part of that. Yep. Like he felt he feels trapped. Yeah. He says later. So cut to at the at the bar slash restaurant where um where they uh, he and and Ed and Danielle meet. Hi Bob. Hi Bob. I still love that. Still love that. Maybe that should be our I, I, uh, our, our yeah. intro here. That's, just that's probably that's pretty good. I, I think it's it's kind of wild when you think about it, right? Because like on the one hand, that is something they bonded over. On the other hand, it is a reminder of this terribly traumatic yeah. thing that happened to all of them, and they've kind of I don't want to say they've quite neutralized it, but like they have kind of you know reclaimed it in some way. But it's 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 disturbing if you think about it for too long. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, well, I mean, they did. They bonded over a traumatic event, but it is both of yeah, those things, yeah. right? It's, so, yeah. So right. Ed, Ed's like, oh yeah, you know, uh, Kelly's going to go to Annapolis, and I'm going to do Pathfinder, and uh, what's going on with you, Gordo? And he's like, oh yeah, I got a suit fitting, and I had to take my helmet off because I had a panic attack, and and then there's just a series of looks as all these three people who went through this traumatic event all look at each other like, oh no, oh no, oh no, oh no. Yep. Yeah, so a lot contained in a. I mean, they're both, you know, Danny and and Ed are both sort of like, yeah. Well, those looks. What's in there, right? It's it's. Right. Oh no, it's Gordo. It's also Ed. You stuck me with this guy. <laughs> yep, yep, yep. And and I mean, he keeps he tries to play it off a little bit. Oh, yeah, there's nothing. It's just it's a little weird. It's a little weird, but it's nothing. No big yeah, deal, well, right? Of like you know. Yeah. Oh, uh, yeah. Michael Dorman still being a messed up dude. Uh, he's yep. really good at it. He's he's great at it. Really he's so good. good. At it. Everybody go watch Patriot. Um, so what happens next? Direct line from there, which is Molly uh, taking a bath, and uh, it's not quite the same as asking somebody random who's appeared in your house to bring you toilet paper. But um, Ed comes in <laughs> to Molly taking a bubble bath and says, "You get my job." I'm going to go back to space and you are going to be the head of the astronaut office. And she's like, I don't want that. I don't want to do your job. Your job sucks. Find someone else. And he's like, okay, you don't understand. Um, given their conversation on the golf course a couple weeks ago, right? It's the, he suspects that she lied about her radiation exposure, which she did. Mm. Yep. And she did that presumably because she wants to go back to space. And so he, he, the closing argument here is then you can assign yourself a job right. after you sit out the six month or whatever sit out that you have to do for medical reasons because of your exposure on the moon. You can then assign yourself back to space and you will get to fly again. This is how you do that. And she's like, all right. <laughs> which yeah. I just thought that was really funny. I, it's like Molly Cobb in I, charge of the astronaut I, office, huh? Okay. The scene, the line that made me laugh out loud here was the one where he's explaining what the perks of the job are. And it's like, or you could use it to like get revenge on everybody that you don't like. And she's like, well, that's interesting. I, mm. <laughs> very, very Molly. Um, like redheaded people or whatever yeah, else. Yeah, right. Exactly. Whatever you, whatever whim takes you. I, we, there's also seems to be a hint here that, that, that Molly is not entirely well. There's a scene where she... She kind of thinks about getting up at one point and she makes the comment that, that gravity sucks and it's kind of hard to tell if she's just covering for not feeling well. I don't really know, but there's certainly, I mean, certainly since Ed's aware that she's at risk here, I think this is the big question hanging over all their heads. It's like, is she going to, 
you know, is she going to make it out to that six month medical in the sense that like, uh, you know, six months is a long time. She's got taken this huge dose of radiation. It might not look great in six months when she's taking her physical to go back up there. Right. So, um, that's happening. That's going to be interesting. We get a scene at the end of this episode where there's like the empty office and, and, uh, and you know, Molly's gonna, Molly's gonna be in charge of it. It'll be interesting to see. Um, the okay so we get a scene we get a very dramatic scene with danielle where danielle goes to visit her dead husband clayton's sister and bring some personal effects and it's obvious that they haven't really spoken and uh clayton's sister doesn't like danielle or space um very much is sort of saying why are we spending money on space why are we uh, it's all, it's all the white people who are doing this anyway. Uh, you, he told me what happened on the moon, which is like, oh no, no, no. He's not supposed yeah, to tell anybody right. that. And she, and she uses it. She says, she says, you, there was a white guy on the moon who lost it. You took the shot for it. She's like, no, no, no I was just doing my job. Like, you took the shot for it. You are the dumb black astronaut who broke her arm on the moon. You were setting us back not pushing us forward by going, by being complicit in their lies and and you know and her argument is more expansive than that but it, it is a it is really rough and i think nuanced in a way that you can be somebody who believes that money spent on on space can be valuable and that the argument that we should spend that money on other things is often specious uh because there are lots of things we spend money on that we could not spend money on and use to feed people not just space exploration. Go, uh, the percentage of NASA's budget that is space exploration in the real world is very tiny uh, compared to all sorts of other things that we spend lots of money on. So it's the wrong... Defense. I think, yeah, that's the big one. Yeah. It's the wrong thing, I think, to focook on. So I think you could read the the anger that Clayton's sister has for Danielle through that lens and be like, yeah, I know what you're saying, but at the same time, you know, this is not... I heard these arguments before. But then some of her arguments really do hit home. And her her point about, like, how she views this from the black community um, and how she thinks that Danielle is not an exemplar and is kind of being used, and because she knows the truth about what happened up there on the moon, um, leaves Danielle shaken and obviously then precipitates Danielle to change her feelings when she talks to Ed on his yeah. very long last day in the job. <laughs> yeah, I, I, this scene is really good, I think, for a few reasons. Um, I think without the the perspective coming from, you know, another African-American character, it, it, first of all, it's not going to occur to any of the white characters, as we see Absolutely. in the um, And we don't, I think, uh, you know, for better or worse, the show does not currently have another, uh, I, with the exception potentially of General Bradford, who we've seen a little bit of this season, right. does not have another strong African-American character, uh, you know, in the foreground here. So having this uh, way to sort of bring it into the foreground and say, here's the perspective you know, of other people who are in similar situations. You guys think you fix uh, this by having me right, exist exactly. briefly and then it's done and it's not done. <laughs> yes, exactly. And, and like making sort of the comment that like, you're always going to be in the back, right? Like that's kind of the damning thing she points out. Is like oh, you're yeah. always in the back of the ship, you know? Uh, and I think this is interesting too, because it's not necessarily something that's in the foreground of Danielle's mind up until this point, but she is persuaded, as you said, and she takes that into her discussion with Ed, which is a great scene because clearly, again, having established that bond between them all, 
she feels comfortable speaking frankly to Ed, which is great. They, they, she considers him a peer and he considers her a peer and respects her, right? Like, I think that is a good scene between the two of them uh, where she essentially argues, look, you got to put me in charge of a mission because it's, he kind of is evasive and tries to make excuses, but I don't think he does it out of disrespect so much as he does it out of, he's uncomfortable, right? And I mean, he should be <laughs> because uh, they've made poor decisions as an, as an institution. Yeah. And I don't think he opposes the matter on the face of it, but he is also like, he's, he's somewhat of a politician, even this on uh, his last day in office, right? He's in a political position to a certain degree. Sure. And I, but I love that then he takes that in what I think is the truly my favorite scene of this episode into this meeting on his literally, who has a meeting like on the four o'clock on the last day of their work? I guess so. Um, and he has now been persuaded in turn, right? So we yeah. have this chain yeah, exactly. of persuasion coming all the way from Clayton's sister through Danielle to Ed to bringing it to the foreground. And I will also point out in that one scene with Clayton, we, uh, Clayton's sister, we do get confirmation that he did commit suicide. Yes. Uh, as we speculated mm-hmm. a couple weeks yeah, ago. You called so, that. Yeah, so I think it's an interesting scene, too, because it involves a little bit of sort of handing over stuff, uh, you know, like uh, belongings or whatever, but it's undercut by this extreme tension between these two characters. Yeah, no, I think it's really well done, and then I like that she ponders that, and then she reframes it in her own way to talk to Ed mm-hmm. and says, you know, this isn't good enough. I want to be the first black woman to command a mission, He's like, well, it's my last day. I don't know if there's anything I can do. And then he goes into the meeting about Apollo Soyuz being approved by the Soviets, which is interesting. Again, we just hear it secondhand. The Soviet presence in the show is fascinating to me how they're basically never there except for the one cosmonaut or the scene where they're kind of like they find their stuff got moved and the Russians are there. But it's always at a remove. They work mysteriously. We don't really know what they're doing. I think that's fascinating. But they've agreed to this. And like I said at the beginning of this episode, oh, it's like Apollo Soyuz. And literally they're like, we've got an extra Apollo capsule and an old rocket at Huntsville so we have the material that we can put together an Apollo mission and that way the Soviets can't see any of our cutting edge stuff they'll just see our old Apollo capsule and uh and it's it's good there's this links to a scene uh that happens earlier with uh with Ellen and Margot and Thomas Paine is the name of the mm-hmm. NASA administrator who seems a little scary uh, but is also kind of like portrayed as a political am- animal. I think it's interesting because Thomas Paine's a real person. He's a historical figure. He was yeah. a NASA administrator. Um, he did work in Republican uh, uh, administrations. He was a big advocate for more space uh, exploration. Um, so I think it's interesting that they're using him here and he's a little sinister, uh, but it's still a real guy. Um, I love that scene with him and Ellen, though. I mean, where he talks about the fact that he does love space, even though he is a political animal. Right. Like, I enjoy that duality of him. And there's a there's an undercurrent in that scene, too, right? Because we... The the undercurrent is, like, you can both read it from a sort of a subtextual thing, which is he's talking about all the different faces you have to portray to different people, depending sure. on who you're dealing with. And she's and closeted. And, Ellen is closeted. <laughs> and so... She the question is she's trying to read this in as does he know right because like there's a couple of moments where he she's like why is he telling me this and like I think these consensus is generally he's just giving her advice in terms of her being about in politics. this position that's very yeah. political um, but you know it applies certainly to her her home life as well so but I, I like that I thought that was nice to give a, that character who otherwise just seems like a 
uh, cardboard like 1980s like suited he's villain the one who says, in some ways. President tells me we have to do this thing, right? He's yeah. he's, he's the, the political. Principal. He's the vice principal of the school. Yeah. <laughs> I, I actually <laughs> wonder. This is a little space inside baseball, but um, inside spaceball. The uh, the previous NASA administrator in our world uh, is a guy named Jim Bridenstine, who was a Republican congressman from Oklahoma. And when he was appointed by Trump to be NASA administrator, there was a great deal of outcry who said the NASA administrator shouldn't be a political position. It should be a more technical position. And this guy's just a Republican congressman. He's just a politician. Why, uh, Why do you want him in the role? And he got confirmed. And it turned out that he was really good. He was a really good appointment. I might argue, not to get too political, but I might argue the only good or at least by far the best appointment made during the Trump administration. He was bipartisan. He knew that Congress holds the purse strings of NASA. And so he needs to uh, be, be play nice with the Republicans and Democrats in Congress in order to get funding. He also has to navigate the whole, like, what does the white house want? He did a brilliant job. And I was thinking about him in the portrayal of Thomas Paine here, because Thomas Paine struck me as being just a little resonance there, which is like, look, being NASA administrator is about politics. It's about navigating what the White House wants and what Congress wants and giving them what they want to a certain degree. And not even though I'm, like he says, all for space exploration and in real life, Thomas O'Pain absolutely was super enthusiastic about human exploration of outer space. But I am also in a political role and I have to navigate these issues. And so when you get angry, Ellen, about Mars stuff getting scaled back, I get it, but I'm trying to, you know, I can't just say no, I have to navigate this and get us in a position where we can get what we want as quickly as we can get it. But that's not necessarily as quickly as you want. So it's, it's a nuanced portrayal of this character who did, you're right, seem a little bit more like the, he's the heavy who just kind of comes down with like whatever Reagan wants is what we're going to get. And, and so I did think about Jim Bridenstine and thought like, I'm fascinated by the idea that the NASA administrator is this role that has to be fundamentally is an advocate for science and exploration, but also a political animal who needs to get money and needs to get Congress mm-hmm. and individual Congress people to sign off on appropriations so that they have a budget. And And so I, I, I like the scenes with Thomas Paine here. Yeah, I agree. And I we also another little tidbit here that we pull out is essentially the government's like has told NASA they can license their technology, which gives them revenue. Right. To Referenced make earlier. Sufficient. But now we get Referenced it clear earlier. that they're they're trying to. And, and I wonder if that's a long game thing, too, that that they've got things down the line, whether it's this season or in future seasons where they're like, how in the world did NASA uh, get the funding for that? And the answer is we've set it up here that NASA can kind of yeah, do what it wants right. because it seems to have invented the electric car industry and pushed the computer industry forward and all of the these things that give NASA fuel that it doesn't otherwise have when it's just being appropriated by right. by Congress. And also politically making kind of making some sense underneath a Republican administration, which would no doubt be more than happy for sure. a, a sure. government agency to be able to be self-sufficient. For sure. And they make they make some comments here about politics and about where the I think, you know, so they mentioned Kennedy, potentially Teddy, Teddy Kennedy. Well, he was the president. The, he, Kennedy was the president in 72. Right. And then right. lost and, to Reagan yeah. in 76. Right. Right. 
Yeah, and so and but the um, Payne talks specifically about like everything's gonna be fine unless the Democrats win the election. Right. Too. I keep I keep wondering because this is Reagan's second term is over in '84, so I assume part of what's going to happen here is a presidential election in at, at some point during season two because we're in '83, I think. Yep. At this so point, it should be ramping up. So unless this all takes place in a very short period of time, and even so, it's like it's ramping up, and and there's this question of like who will follow Reagan, and in our world, Bush followed Reagan, but you know that's not a guarantee at all here. So we'll see where that goes. I, I also want to say that the, that is the undertone there. It starts with a, like, you know, I, I know, I know your secret or whatever he says. And she's like, what the hell? And it's like, it's not, that's not what it's about. It's about sort of the faces right. we wear for politics. And, and, and he's like, there's three of me or whatever he says, right? Like there's, it, it's, I gotta be a different person for these different roles. But, um, and, and don't lose track of what you are. is one of the points that's made. Um, but I also want to mention, uh, she comes home and Larry and his boyfriend are going out to the disco. Um, and they're like, oh, come with love, us to the disco. The and she's like, it's not, she's exhausted. She's like, no, I'm not going to the disco. Although that also is a pointing out that Ellen is alone. Uh, right, right. Which is in the following, in that scene, she is told by Larry to open all the moon mail, mail she got while she was on the moon. moon the moon mail. mail. Moon mail, uh, moon mail call. And one of the things that she finds, it was funny, I'm watching this, my wife came in, uh, we weren't able to watch all this together, but she came in and sat down at a couple points here. And um, she's like, as, as that scene happened, she goes, sit down the mail. She's like, wait, she was in love with a bartender, wasn't she? What happened to her? And I was like, and then well, literally the next shot is here looking at the envelope from Pam. And I was like, I think we're about to find yeah. out. She's like, wow, it's like this show is like... She's like a literature professor act- and she yeah. wrote this thing of poems and she says, try yeah. to figure out which one is about you. And I think the implication there is maybe and- all of them are about her, but... Yeah, <laughs> yeah. no, I think that's nice. It's a it's it's a little touching scene, and but sad. it also is sad. Because, yeah, Ellen, because it's like Ellen is super clo- clo- Not just super closeted, but Ellen is also... Like Larry and the boyfriend are going off to the disco and they're living their life and having fun. And she's like, it's not that she doesn't want to go as much as it is that we've seen her day, right? She yeah. she's not, she's not going out. She's exhausted. It'll be a miracle if she does anything before just like falling into bed. Right. Um, and but that means she is isolated in that way, right? Yeah, and, and I think it also points out, you know, there's still as we've talked about in previous weeks still the uh you know enough of a uh stigma that she as she you know we saw with deke last season when she told yeah. deke like she is in a even more sensitive position now right so she has to be very careful and yeah i don't know one thing oh, something else my wife pointed out when she was in there she was wondering whether or not we're gonna touch on the aids crisis i was like well it's the 80s it seems hard to do it without it i think they're gonna have a hard time avoiding that especially with you know homosexual characters yeah yeah with well yeah i wonder if larry and larry and his boyfriend i i had that same thought which is like we're talking about the aids era here unless they unless they pay it lip service by saying oh huh, we are science blah 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 but like right I, it, yeah it but seems, i don't think you want to do that and it seems unlikely <laughs> yeah. that their science advances would actually stop the aids crisis right because they're not not much direct yeah. correlation there, I, but yeah. And yeah. I do wonder where they're going with Ellen in terms of gay rights and will she come out and what would that will that happen or or be outed and will that happen in a Reagan administration or mm-hmm. you know what would that do politically? I also am reminded of the um, the challenge that women have in some professions where. There's uh there's a real pressure for women to stay in the closet because other women don't want their profession viewed as being 
again, this is really retrograde. I'm not saying anything positive about this here as being uh, one of those places where the lesbians are. And so you end up with more oppression, more suppression of reality in certain fields. And I wonder if that's part of the the story of the astronaut corps too. the idea that like, you know, by the way, Sally Ride was gay. Yeah, I was just I was just looking that up because I remembered that, and it's like, but that was not not revealed until she died. Basically, people who knew her knew, but like she was not out. Um, and so introducing her as a character here is also interesting. So I think there's those are things to watch about. You talk about uh, Reagan era policies, ignoring AIDS for a long time, uh, embracing uh, evangelical movements that were very much anti-gay. Uh, what does this show have to say about them? Because this show is very different about that sort of thing. So let's go to uh, the Spatial Discovery, which is launching with Tracy on board. And uh, they have, again, technology is advanced here because we didn't really get live views aboard the shuttle until very late in the shuttle program in the late 90s. So here we are. We have live views of the shuttle um, including some shots that are taken from the late 90s uh, cameras on the shuttle. Uh, but we also have the Tracy Cam on board because she's a celebrity and an astronaut. And right. the other astronauts this, don't really seem to appreciate it. This was touched on, I think, last week in her argument with Ed, where she said there was like a, the camera crew, the, P- the PR office wanted to like put a camera on her the whole time. Yeah. Right. And he's kind of rolling his eyes a little bit at, as everybody else seems to be. Yeah. I also won, I won five bucks uh, on this scene from my wife who, as we were watching it, was convinced that they were going to do like an early challenger. And I was like, I don't think they're going to kill her. She's like, oh, maybe they might. And so they did not. They did so not. I won five bucks. Um, Gordo is watching this, by the way. So that's more of that. Only, only sort of, though. He flips around, too, yeah. <laughs> for a little bit, which I enjoyed. Yeah. Do I have to watch this? But, I guess. But he does give a little smile when Tracy winks at the camera. Like, again, you know, they have a connection. Sure. For sure. And speaking of Gordo... Let's, uh, we go to the end. Uh, Gordo's losing it. Gordo is at the bar. He sees some ants on a can, uh, which is weird. And, but he is convinced that he's hallucinating ants on the can. He's not. There are really ants there. And you get that scene where it's like, you have an open beer can on a bar where people are drinking and I'm just going to spray bug spray on it. Oh, <laughs> 1980s. Who I will cares? point out, it's not beer, it's Pepsi. Oh, he you're makes right, that you're point right. later when he tells Ed, I wasn't drinking. You're right. It was a Pepsi can because he's, he's, uh, he's going to be uh training uh they're flying to the cape so he he is not drinking he's having pepsi but still he has that moment and then he freaks out and then he tells ed and ed is really upset and then it makes it but they were but they were real they were not and 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 there's a moment of like is that does that make it okay does it make it okay that they were real ants if he thought they weren't real ants. Like, where are we with the mind, mental state lot. of Gordo here? <laughs> There's a lot going on in this scene, <laughs> and I think it's tough because what we're essentially confronting at this point is, you know, uh, some of it's the impact of the sort of toxic masculinity, right? Like, because Ed essentially says, man up. Like, you're a test pilot. Right. Which is, you know, all right. I, again, I see where, where Ed is coming from. He is kind of felt like he's trying to help Gordo and he seen, it doesn't seem like it's working, right? He had hoped that Gordo would get sort of whipped into shape by this, and it's not really playing out the way that he expected it. And so he kind of loses his temper at him and tells him, like, grow up, you know. And, and Gordo's there crying to him, like, kind of barren his soul. He has this whole conversation about his father dying of cancer and how he, his father fought in World War II and was just, like, 
you know, totally not afraid of anything until he was dying. And he, then he, you know, then he freaked out and he's like, I couldn't, I couldn't go deal with it. And Ed's response is like, you grow up. And it's not exactly the most helpful thing, I guess. It does sort of seem to spur Gordo into action at the end here. But yeah, I don't know. This, I mean, it's a tough love moment. And, yeah. I, and I can't decide whether or not that is actually a, 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 a way to handle this or not. Because, you know, Gordo, they say, you know, as they point out, he's been to therapy, right? Like, he's clearly not past his issues. But he is, uh, yeah, I don't know. It's I think tough. Ed, it's tough. Ed is trying to use the tools at Ed's disposal to figure out yeah. if he can shake Gordo out of this. And I, I think I'm going to stand by what I said last week, which is um, he he's kind of doing what he can to try and resolve whether Gordo can is broken or not, essentially. Mm-hmm. And like, I, I do kind of feel on one level, I mean, he wants him to succeed, but also he kind of wants him to succeed or fail rather yeah. than just go on the way he was. Um, and maybe that's me reading into it. Obviously, he wants him to succeed, but... Sure, sure. But he's putting him in a high-stress situation yes. where he feels like this will snap him out of it, right? Because yeah. he, or he might will have snap. no choice. That's the problem yeah. with, with yeah. this. this is, it has is high stakes. And, you know, and so he does this thing. So they've got the NASA jets, which is the T-38 He, he tells him, go, go, right, and, and go go book a ride on Pan Am yeah. if you don't want to fly down, right? right? So <laughs> so he, he, he prompts him, and, and he comes out, and they fly, and then they do, they do some, uh, like... Uh, training fighter game top gun kind of nonsense yeah Yeah. exactly right oh by the way i I have a note in here about the we also hear about the john lennon concert for peace as things are escalating john lennon who did not die is instead agitating for peace panama the panama hostages were freed that's also good news good news yeah no no word on the rest of the beatles and whether or not they'll show up no no i I like that because that was so that was a real thing that in the uh in the late 70s on Saturday Night Live, they did a bit, Lorne Michaels did a bit where he was like, hey, Beatles, I have a check here for $500. <laughs> Come and perform on Saturday Night Live. And it was meant to be, a, that was the joke, right? It was $500 for the Beatles to reunite on Saturday Night Live. And the story goes that the that Lennon and McCartney, at least, were together in New York watching Saturday Night Live while that was on. And they looked at each other like, should we go down there? Nah. And they didn't. But uh, but so I was thinking about that with the the whole idea of like no word about about the other Beatles uh, and thinking, you know, there's a fun thing to be had here where the Beatles reunite. Maybe that yeah. will happen in a future episode we'll for a, a concert. It's like a yeah. Live Aid kind of thing, but it's like trying to stop the, the Cold War or stop uh, militarization of the moon or whatever it is. We may be being set up for a, a bigger kind of cultural story happening in the background because that's part of the point i think of for all mankind and we've touched on it a little bit with sort of the roles of women but you know when you take a parallel universe say an alt history story like this um you do need to do the big sweep of cultural changes and how the culture has changed and i wonder if some of this with john lennon is a is a proxy for saying there's going to be a powerful anti- Reagan anti-militarization of space Mm -hmm. and anti-cold war movement and I wonder if that that may also be part of the backdrop of whoever you know is in the next presidential election or something and it ties in a little bit with that scene which we alluded to earlier with the um the the final meeting that Ed has where he points out like you got to remind the politicians what we put on that plaque that we were supposed to take on Apollo 11 right that which is the name of the show we come in peace for all mankind yeah yeah 
and I, I again the tie-in in that scene is particularly even Ed, who as we've seen is you know from a more conservative, right. uh, traditional background and supportive even he guns has been, on the moon. Right. Yep. Even, but even he has had his viewpoints on certain things changed. For you sure. know, both in the long term and the short term. And uh, I think that scene, as I said before, that scene sort of struck out, stuck out for me as my my favorite scene from this week because Ed is making finally making an argument that I also feel like is the morally correct right. argument. It's also expedient for him because he needs to. He wants to help Danielle, and this this you know. The, the situation that presents itself is ideal, right? The second they're like, well, we need to make a mission. I'm like, oh, you got somebody who needs to be a mission commander. Oh, you want to use an Apollo 11? Well, you got somebody who flew an Apollo capsule. You know, like you're you're pretty much in good shape there. Yep. Well, yeah. Ed, it, it also happens to be right, which is, you know, that's Ed, a nice, nice confluence. Ed is really growing and progressing as a person, which is why it's a shame that his uh, airplane dies <laughs> and he has to eject over the nice Gulf of him. Mexico. Nice knowing him. Yep. Cliffhanger. Gonna take a gonna take a swim. Um, I think well, he'll be yeah, fine. I mean, I predict he'll, I think be, he'll fine. be okay. But I think it's it's that. I'm kind of curious. The bigger question is not. I, it's funny. I don't care about what happens because I assume Ed will be okay. The question is how that affects Gordo, Gordo, right? Yeah. Is Gordo gonna be freaking out? Like, look what happened. We were just flying planes and you had to bail out. Or is Gordo gonna be like, is this the thing that makes him buckle down? Right. Because right? like, that's the real question, right? Is is Gordo gonna get better? Is Gordo gonna have a crack up? Or is Gordo going to continue on in this middling state until he gets to the point where he can make a colossal mistake? I don't know. <laughs> yeah. No, I don't either. I don't either. It was an interesting end to this episode. Uh, and I mean, Gordo also gets the better of uh, Ed in the, the mock dog fight, That's true. Which I thought was uh, a nice moment of showing that he does seem to like regain a bit of himself that's, being up there. Right. Well, that's Ed's like therapy for Gordo, right? I, yeah. I feel like that that's a, a sign that maybe Ed's trying to figure him out. He's another fighter pilot. He's another test pilot. He's he's like Ed. So how do I figure this guy out? How do I I break him into, you know, break him out of his rut or whatever? And the answer may be that that's, you're completely wrong in going about it this way because he has, you know, deep um, issues, mental health issues that are not going to be solved by... Um, yelling at him and telling him to buckle down and doing mock dog fights, or alternately, you you know because you guys are so much alike, you know better than anyone else what are the things that are going to shake him out of it. I don't know, right, uh, right. And I mean, it, we can't ignore Ed's own trauma, right? Like the sure. fact that Ed has managed to not entirely right, like as we saw last, last week, week with right? his blow up, he's still there, but it, I, it's not impairing him in the way I think that it does with Gordo, right? Like it, it's. It is an undercurrent of something that he is worried about and that will always be a part of him, but it's not something that is, like, interfere with his daily life. Yep. Well, yeah. anything else more about Pathfinder before we go? I, I do want to say, A, I like the scene where we get to see Pathfinder. It looks like a fancy space shuttle. Fancy space shuttle. Got, like, curved wings curved and wings. the big engines in the back, and yeah. uh, that's pretty cool. And uh, my special uh, character award this week goes for, I think, uh, General Bradford, who, in the last scene... Where you know the, the uh, pain is worried that like he's going to get pushback right from the politicians if he suggests uh, that Danielle be the commander right and Bradford's like anybody gives you trouble let me know I know I know people there yeah I we, I'll call we the secretary over that part, that part of that scene where there is the pushback about Danielle being the commander and there's the discussion about it and Payne is really reluctant right he's like oh I everybody don't know. else is on board everybody else Margot and Ellen you know all of them vouch for her they're like she's great and she did a fantastic job I think it's you know? fascinating because I don't know how much of that is him saying but this is 
you know, some of it is the politics is don't don't stick your neck out. Don't deviate from the norm. The safest play is the safest play. And they're trying to do something that's a little bit different. And so part of him, I think he's got his instinct, which is like, oh, boy. Um, I do think there's also a subtext there, which we were talking earlier about various subtexts about about women uh, and about gay rights and about the AIDS crisis and all of that. There's probably a, a subtext here, which is, um, oh, yeah, I report to a Republican administration. There's some racism there. And how yeah, can I, I how can I sell this to the racists in the White House and the racists in Congress? But at the same time, you know, it, it's and again, it may not be like even fierce opposition, but it may be like he knows there'll be pushback and his natural state is to avoid pushback. Right. And that's why it's all white guys. <laughs> There's some glances exchanged in this yes. scene when he mentions the Republican, you know, got to sell it to the, yeah, the administration, exactly. which I thought was a nice, it's subtle, so, but it's there. So having having the general there, who we've seen throughout this season, and have him sort of step in one of those like, Mm-mm, I know people, and you know, the unsaid there is, there is a black man in the room and he is watching you talk about this and right. are and you or what what are you going to do in this moment sir he makes the explicit <laughs> point too which i thought was great was that like well the soviets like to shove our race relations our history with race in relations our face. into our face yeah. so let's let's sort of get out in front of that which is also a, a nice moment and yes. it, it it sort of plays against or to you know in, in harmony nah, that's not quite the right word but like the the scene with danielle and her sister-in-law right. Where, where they talk about essentially when Martin Luther King was assassinated and they like had a party, right? Like they talking about the people in the, I, she, she says it's not the people in Clayton's platoon, but like other soldiers essentially right. in Vietnam. And, you know, there's a lot of subtext there too, right? Because she makes the point about like, don't let them send, you know, another, basically start another Vietnam in space. Um, and it plays into this whole thing with like, you know what? We kind of have a racist government, right? Like the, we're, we're our history of this country is rooted in these problems. Uh, and so, yeah, it's an interesting moment. And of course it takes a white man suggesting it in the room to, to actually have it considered as an option, which is also should be somewhat uncomfortable. I liked that Ed was the one to step forward, but uh, it's also awkward because it's like, well, again, like you said, you're a room mostly full of white guys. Yeah. Yeah. Interesting, though. I and mean, this show is so uh, forgive me. My interview with Ron Moore a while ago, um, right before episode one came out on the Liftoff podcast, you know, he made it very clear that this is part of what they're doing. Right. They're, part of what they're doing is interrogating um, the you know, you're, they're not doing a period piece and they didn't do this in season one where it's like, well, it's all white guys. They're like, no, we're not going to do it that way. It, but the timeline changing allows them to tell a show with a more diverse cast. But more than that, it also allows them to address these issues. And the show, I mean, as this episode makes clear, um, the show is not going to shy away from that. In fact, dare I dare I say that it's interesting that the episode uh, in which... Uh, Danielle stands up and says, I want to be the first black woman who's commanding a space mission is the episode titled Pathfinder. Double meaning? Mm -hmm. I don't Mm -hmm. know. The show is not afraid to get into this stuff, which is why, to talk about what we were saying earlier, I would not be surprised if um, gay people coming out, if AIDS and the AIDS crisis of the 80s, like if these are not addressed, I would be surprised because this show seems kind of unafraid 
to grapple with this stuff in the context of this space program. Yep. Yeah. There's, there's all of that. I mean, I think we did, were you talking about this with Ron Moore where it's like, this is kind of, you know, the road to Star Trek in yes. some ways. Yeah. Yeah. That's yeah. what he said. And, and I think, yeah. And I, I think that's a great way. It really put that into perspective when, when I heard that because it was, yeah. All right. Like how, how do we get there? Star Trek. Yeah. Star Trek always portrays this very utopian view. I mean, well, mostly not entirely, but like a lot of it is sort of that utopian view. And the answer is, yeah. How do we get to that point? And the answer is it took a lot of, it took a lot of work and there's a lot of friction that happens along the way. Yep. Well, we'll see what happens next time. We'll be back in another week with episode five of For All Mankind. But until then, I am going to close the door of the capsule and leave the Soyuz behind. Uh, hi, Bob. Bye, Bob. Can you say it in Russian? Oh, God. Привет, Bob. <laughs> we'll see you next week. <laughs>